You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of your complete cards coverage. I'm your host for today, Blake Murphy, on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And it's been a few weeks since the last show. Last time, obviously, was a playoff preview. Now, coming into this week, it's looking at the conference championship game. So, a bit of time off, and I think some of it was probably needed. Not just for me, but for, I think, a lot of Cardinals fans in mourning of the what could have been for a impressive start to a Cardinals season it ultimately ends with a 34-11 loss to the Los Angeles Rams. Won't talk too much about the game considering the time it's been, but wanted to make at least a few points overall just with how the season has ended, talk a little bit about expectations, and even take a bit of the temperature of the Cards fan base. Also do a couple of the big-picture playoff takeaways and preview that conference championship round for you. This should be launching on a Sunday morning. You'll have plenty of time to be able to uh, tune in, listen to this episode, and then watch the games, the NFC and AFC Championship. Uh, but to start, since this is a Cardinals podcast, have to go and talk about how the game ended. And in kind of with how the rest of the season went, the phrasing that I used over a couple of podcasts was talking about putting all of your eggs into one basket. And that's essentially what the Cardinals did in this game against the Los Angeles Rams. They have a chance to win the division in the final week of the season. They end up um, losing at least to the Seattle Seahawks. And I believe at least that there is an ESPN report that came out um, from, I believe it was Jeremy, if I remember correctly, at least from ESPN, I think it was Jeremy Foster, talked about how the Seahawks players said that the Arizona Cardinals had bad body language against their game and that went along with some of the idea of the Cardinals being a vibes team when things are going great. Hey, things are awesome. When things are not going great, the Cardinals have a hard time getting back into the game, being able to be down. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this, at least. Um, And it showed its head against the Rams in that divisional game. When the Cardinals are in the lead, we've seen at least things have been thriving and going great. They've at least shown the capacity to efficiently run the ball, be able to make plays down the field. Everything feels like it's in balance and ahead of schedule. Now, I think there's part of the blame can be gone to the Cardinals' lack of, in some cases, leadership in every level, not just maybe the core veteran leaders, but as many have noted, when Kyler essentially has seen mistakes or his team is down, you know, you end up seeing him on the sideline at least pouting or sulking. Some people are part of this Russell Wilson fan base who or maybe Patrick Mahomes, guys who are like, hey, you'll make the next player encouraging people. There's others who are probably more of the Philip Rivers and Tom Brady mold where there's encouragement that they have, but it's a lot more of sitting by themselves, either reviewing film, yelling at guys to get guys into the right place. Uh, these are all ultimately just parts of what makes an NFL quarterback a quarterback. Now, I think that maybe in some cases the Cardinals are a vibes team that goes along with Kyler Murray. And it's one of the questions that we'll get into, at least, is going to be about when Kyler Murray is taking a beating or when things are not going well. Is that something where he and his team are able to respond? 
I think part of the issue can fall onto Cliff Kingsbury. Whether the Cardinals get down, it seems like the offensive structure just somehow has issues. Now, maybe the Cardinals are a team that they go five wide to try to have to catch up in the game. Maybe protections break down. The Cardinals aren't able to protect. We saw a lot of coverage sacks against Seattle, and perhaps you take a look at the idea of um, when you're talking about the NFL, you talk about Big 12 defenses, maybe the rush three, drop eight, giving a quarterback plenty of time. Instead, you get to this rush four, drop seven. If you don't have offensive line that can protect against four rushers consistently, maybe teams are dropping back, playing a bit more zone coverage. Kyler's maybe a bit impatient, but it felt like the Cardinals had overcome some of these things. It felt like earlier in the season, they were able to hit intermediate routes, be patient. They were able to run the ball. And late in the season, it felt like things had just drastically shifted. Now, I think injuries are a big part of that. And there's no injury that I think looms bigger for the end of the Cardinals season than that of DeAndre Hopkins, who, as we can kind of tell now, was probably not coming back unless the Cardinals made it all the way to the Super Bowl. He has still been recovering health-wise. But I think it's that and the combination of the run defense suddenly breaking down about maybe halfway through the year to the point where the Arizona Cardinals seemed like they were not only not able to stop the run whatsoever, but they would be gashed for a couple of big yards unless they were playing a team like the Indianapolis Colts, losing four of their five offensive starters on the offensive line. And even then, Jonathan Taylor still had 100 rushing yards. They struggled to generate pass rush up until the end of the game. And the offense at least took a nosedive with the Cardinals passing the ball to catch up. And this is clearly a Cardinals offense that when the ball is in Kyler Murray's hands and the ball is needed for him to be able to go and step up and make plays, both he and the wide receivers have not been able to come through. Now, there's times where it seemed like they were about to come through against in that final drive against the Packers, but it took that defensive turnover to get it done. And I think at least what we've seen overall is the repetition of this Cardinals team losing games to end the season that has gotten fans incredibly frustrated. Cardinals lost five of their last six, ended up losing six of their last seven, and everything that the coaching staff talked about was, we'll bring it for this game. Don't worry, we'll bring it for this game. We're in the playoffs. We're going to bring it for this game. Kyler's going to be on point. We're getting all these guys back. And they looked like they were outclassed from the start. And that's probably, I think, the biggest concern Cardinals fans have is because if you have a fast start, we can see it doesn't really matter how fast you start in the NFL. Cardinals got off to a 7-0 start, and they finished winning only four games and losing their next seven. That's good enough, essentially, for a 4-7 and seven finish, which is ultimately a playoff team but not a playoff team or a team that many people feel like will be going many places next season due to that second collapse. And that's one of the things that we can talk about for what will happen. First, let's let's go over the game here a little bit with Cardinals versus Rams. It felt like it was over from the first snap of the game. The Rams pick up 35 yards on the ground. The Cardinals looked like they were simply bullied at the line of scrimmage. And they got bullied on the offensive side of the ball, too. First play is from scrimmage. The Cardinals try to hand the ball off to James Conner. Doesn't go. Tackled for a loss. Second play, a quarterback draw to Kyler Murray. And this is where I think the game shifted when watching some of the film. 
Kyler had a quarterback draw. It was right up the middle. He had to break an arm tackle. It's not the widest window, but he has his lead blocker. He can make that move forward. And instead, he simply did not take the open route, turns to the right and runs out to the side and ends up sliding to protect himself. And I think this is going to be one of the areas that the Cardinals coaching staff and Kyler are going to have to look at because he looked like he was afraid to take a hit. He looked like the Rams were in his head. And that's something that maybe isn't surprising. Kyler Murray has been injured versus the Rams before. Had an ankle injury. He took five sacks when Aaron Donald went crazy the last time that they played. And overall, when you see how Buda Baker left the game with an injury, thank goodness it was a neck injury that seemed like it was checked out. He was good to go. But when you're talking about the Cardinals... And you see not just perhaps your best player being carted off in an ambulance. And you see your quarterback afraid with the Rams in his head to run up the middle, break an arm tackle in a game in which the Cardinals are trying to establish Kyler as a rushing threat. You have to feel that the moment was too big for them. And on the other side of the ball, despite it being, you know, the first playoff game in years for Matthew Stafford, it did not look like it was too big for him either. It looked like they were a team that was able to take advantage of cardinal weaknesses. Kevin Peterson on the outside, matchups with the rookie and Marco Wilson on Odell Beckham Jr., who is going to be a free agent after this season. And then again with that run defense in which the Cardinals did not see Isaiah Simmons play the majority of the snaps. Jordan Hicks seemed like he was getting blocked out of place multiple times. It felt like it was, in terms of it, where you started to watch a train derail but in slow motion. And that is really what I think has caused a lot of Cardinals fans to freak out. Now, fortunately, we know for sure seasons don't really have an impact as far as going from one season and finishing strong to starting strong the next season. We also know that the Cardinals, by having a collapse at the end of the season, does not mean that they will not go out and be able to win a bunch of games to start 2022. But it's something at least where when you see the way that it broke down with the Rams after going up 7-0, the Cardinals having three and out, three and out, three and out. They can't run the ball. Trying to throw their quarterback at least seems to be checking it down. The coverage is solid. You can tell the fact at least that the Cardinals have issues that are a bit deeper than simply getting DeAndre Hopkins and getting J.J. Watt back, especially in the playoffs where it counts. The game was essentially ended when you look at how The Rams are able to have a sequence where right at the line, Kevin Peterson is beat from a nice route. Matthew Stafford runs it in. The Cardinals are able to force a punt, but at the one-yard line, then you see Arizona struggling to get out of the end zone, third and seven. You see Kyler Murray, at least, is under pressure, decides to hold on to the ball, does not take the check down to Rondale Moore, sees pressure from behind, tries to get the ball out of the end zone, has to realize at that point taking the safety is better than getting the ball out. He's already taken a safety this year against the Houston Texans from not getting out, something that may be playing in his head. And you see one of the costliest maneuvers, which essentially ended the game right there with the Rams picking the ball off, going in, and going up 21-0. to Add in a further interception, we're under pressure, where and perhaps some of this is on all part of the team area where Cardinals get their first solid drive of the day going. They dial up a screen pass for James Conner. See, there's a bit of pressure that's on Kyler Murray. The offensive line lets up pressure. 
Max Garcia gets pushed back a bit into James Conner, who's trying to get himself free. You see Kyler tossed about without a little, without a, as much touch, but Conner's also not quite where he's supposed to be a little further upfield. All the same, at least, that's one of the areas in the quarterback of having to make sure that the ball is not batted up into the air, that it's not a hard, high throw. Just like we saw in the Rams game with that screen to Rondale Moore, the same type of area happens under pressure. Ball is picked off. Rams are lucky to essentially not go and score right there, but by all accounts, the game was over. It was over, and the season ended, and Cardinals fans are trying to figure out where is it going from here. I think the answer to that is that everything is on the table. Now, what does that mean, everything is on the table? Well, I think it means everything should be on the table. Now, there's a couple of things that are key behind that, but most Cardinals fans, the first thing that most people said after that game was, this is the second collapse in a row. Our quarterback looks frazzled back there. The offensive line is clearly struggling to block the Rams, not just Aaron Donald, but the Rams in general. No matter what protections they're throwing back there, the Rams seem to be getting through. The wide receivers down the field seem to have issues. The Cardinals, ever since losing Hopkins, have not seen A.J. Green blossom into a wide receiver one. We've seen Christian Kirk make some big plays down the field, but also have issues, especially with the deep ball. There was a play early in the game where he seemed to stop running, and if he goes a little more or even just lays out for the ball, there's a chance the Cardinals could have converted a much-needed third down early in the game. And then on the defensive side, you're talking about a pass rush that is going to have to feature Marcus Golden with Chandler Jones seemingly disappearing from the team since his five-sack game. Outside of, you know, the one Seahawks vs. Con- uh, Renaissance that he seems to annually have. We're talking about linebacker core that is questioning why these first-round linebackers, which one of them at least seems to be an Isaiah Simmons, still probably a better fit at safety, as many fans may beg to differ. It just feels like you're seeing there's just issues that he is having for one part or another where he looks most comfortable in coverage. And it just doesn't seem like he's able to disengage from blocks to be able to get there at the line. He is at his best when he's able to be essentially the free guy who can run after the ball and make plays. Maybe that means he could fit more on a different type of a scheme. But then you talk about the secondary and a secondary that missed Robert Alford. It really did because having not just his veteran ability, but being able to put Byron Murphy in the slot, being able to put him on a blitzing amounts, and then being able to let Marco Wilson have a bit of safety help over the top. All of those things seem to go together where the Cardinals are able to bend but not break. And by the end of this game and the end of the season, they were a team that seemed that all they could do was break. And it's going to mean that Kyler Murray is not going to get his contract yet. Cliff Kingsbury at 10-2 and two was looking for a big deal. Steve Kime probably looking for the same. It's why you always wait until the end, folks. Any type of midseason extension that we see usually is always good for the player and unfortunately is not good for the team because in the playoffs and at the end of the season, that is really where the pressure is on and pressure will either make diamonds or cause cracks. And there's enough cracks that were caused that many Cardinals fans, I think in many ways, are looking to try to move on altogether. There's Cardinals fans I've talked to who already want to see Steve Kime be shown the door saying it's overdue. Cliff Kingsbury be given the boot. Vance Joseph, at least, please, someone move on to a better defensive coordinator. We cannot figure out what to do with the run. 
And Michael Bidwell is there and all of the plans that he seemed to have put in place and all of the positivity that was there at the beginning of the season is now gone. And we'll have to see how it will the Cardinals bounce back. Now, I'll be getting to a little bit more of the kind of takeaways, at least at the very end of the season. But first, let's talk about the other playoff games and some of those takeaways, as well as preview what that championship round will look like. That'll be next here on the ROTB pod. And we are back at the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Let's talk about some of the biggest playoff takeaways, starting with the wild card round. We've already gone over the Cardinals struggling again with the Rams. You see another game in which Arizona looks um, underprepared to be able to win at the line of scrimmage, not able to pressure the quarterback effectively. Receivers being able to get open. Cooper Cup did not make an impact in the game, and it did not matter. The acquisition of Odell Beckham Jr. giving up a second-round pick was a smart one by a perhaps desperate Rams team, but perhaps a team that understood just how needed adding talent would be for where playoff run. The two teams that I think stand out the most in this uh, wild card round to me are the Cowboys and the Cardinals. These were two teams that started off on fire, teams that were offensive juggernauts that were able to get after the quarterback and force turnovers. And both of them had some pretty epic collapses at the end. Now, the Cowboys' biggest collapse may have been against the Cards and some of that confidence, but we really got to see against the Niners, despite having almost all the advantages, they were just not able to move the ball in play. There were some strange calls down the stretch, but they did not really have a chance to even win the game. Uh, Late game, they were trying to simply tie... It really felt like ultimately this was kind of a spot where the Cowboys had a great uh, amount of talent put together on the offensive side that I think, at least in some cases, missed Michael Gallup not quite as the Cardinals missed Hopkins. But in the end where it came time to make a play, the Niners' defense was able to step up to get pressure on Dak Prescott. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo essentially be able to be carried by a solid run game and some great plays by his receivers and do just enough plays to win. But this was a game that at home, the Cowboys essentially, seemed that they just did not come ready to play against a much more physical Niners team, just like how the Cardinals did. And both of these teams are teams that have young franchise quarterbacks. Dak Prescott at 26 just signed his first big deal. Kyler Murray is on a rookie deal, still waiting for his. And you don't have Trey Lance there yet in the NFC. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs doing what he does to put his team in position to win football games. What you have in San Francisco is a talented and well-coached team, a team that can carry their quarterback. Something that Scott Bordeaux, who covered the Cardinals for the Athletics, said that when the Cardinals quarterback in Kyler Murray doesn't play well, he is, he is no one else on the team right now who's able to carry the load. And that's true. The the offensive line and the running backs are not able to pick things up. You don't have receivers who are able to separate and get open. And you don't have a defense that's able to make plays to kind of keep their quarterback out of the end zone, be able to get off the field, be able to stop the run. Ultimately, it goes to show that the Niners seem to know a bit more of what they're doing and making use of the talent that they have. Whereas the Cardinals' talent is very top-heavy. It's centered around Kyler. It's centered around Hopkins. There's no true 
stars that you would look at on the offensive line. It's not even that you have a star running back that you pluck out of the sixth round or a star scheme that you would say as far as Kyle Shanahan, who's able to use a fullback who's a star in his own right and Kyle Juszczyk to be able to get plays down the field along with a stud tight end in George Kittle. And we saw the Niners really, really come to play in this game. And we saw them come to play not just in this game, but the next one. The Aaron Rodgers failure. Now, you can talk a little bit about what happened in some of the AFC divisional rounds, but the biggest thing that stands out to me, I think, in the AFC wildcard is the promise of the young franchise quarterbacks, how promising they looked. You got to see Josh Allen play a perfect game against the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick's defense exercising demons. Joe Burrow be able to make enough plays to win two games in a row, not just against the Raiders, but against the Titans in the next round. You talk about Mahomes, who's already essentially, in some cases, a demigod on the NFL football field. And you've got these teams that are trading blow for blow at the quarterback position. The offensive lines protecting skilled position players making plays. One of the most exciting games we've seen all season. And in contrast, what did we get in the NFL divisional round? You had a brutal showing by both offensive lines in which they were beaten at the line of scrimmage by the Rams against a Bucks team with Tom Brady that did not have Tristan Wirfs healthy. You also can see the Packers that were getting guys back but were not able to simply make the plays needed to win in the snow, both on offense and on special teams. The Packers being that team that reminded me a little bit of the 2016 Cardinals, a team that was top 10 in offense, top 10 in defense, and yet the special teams was so bad that it sunk the Cardinals for just enough games that they couldn't make it to the playoffs. This Packers team, on the other hand, was sunk by just enough plays, and at the end of the game, Aaron Rodgers was trying to play a bit of hero ball, throwing balls into tight coverage he shouldn't have. The Niners went down, were able to get away with a last-second victory in a low-scoring game. And I think what we can say for the Cardinals fans is this is probably a team that if they could just muster up a little bit more, they could have been in a much better position. And the Niners team were not unbeatable, as we saw with Jimmy Garoppolo. They still look like they are a fantastic threat, but the Cardinals have beat them twice, obviously. By losing the last game or losing five of those last six and missing out on hosting a home game for the number three seed. A game where you could see the Niners taking on a Cowboys team that was ill-prepared. The Cardinals may have had a shot, potentially, to be able to make up for that just based on how we saw. Now, maybe the factor that it's at home wouldn't have mattered and the Niners go ahead and win against that seed. They go and take it up and end up going back to the NFC Championship game anyway. But as a Cardinals fan, you felt like the Packers showcased that they were beatable. You felt that Aaron Rodgers showed that whenever he's played the NFC West, he said this, he is, I believe, 7-6 and six at Lambeau in the playoffs. He's not winning tons of games at home. And he is, I believe now, 2 of 6 against the NFC West in the playoffs. He may even be 2 of, he may even be two of 7, come to think of it. But it is a spot where when playing the more physical team that can run the ball, it's able to have that presence. That's something at least that will put quarterbacks in a rough spot because the playoffs ultimately are about who is going to be the team that steps up and makes plays every single play. 
that starts up front with the offensive and defensive lines. And I think that's something that even in the, <laughs> even at least in the AFC, we can see how there's just a difference. The AFC, it's all about the passing, the elite quarterbacks. And Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the elite, or the young elite, like a young Peyton and a young Brady, except if they had, you know, Cam Newton's legs and Russell Wilson's scrambling ability. It's insane how good these quarterbacks are. And we see potential flashes of that for Kyler Murray. But he's not there yet. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Bucks and the Chiefs are far more balanced on their offensive side. Patrick, Tyreek, and Kittle can just straight up beat you. Put enough protection in front of them, good enough offensive play, enough of a run game, and they will be able to straight up take it to the house. The, the, the Bills played almost a perfect game, and it didn't matter. It did not matter. And that's one of the cases where the Cardinals, I think, are going to have to take a look at the rest of the league and take a look at their team and figure out what is the difference between all of these places. And a lot of it may start perhaps at the coaching position, but I think a lot of it is going to start with simply being able to see when the Cardinals had talent, we saw how good they could be. When the Cardinals' talent went away, we saw that the true teams that are able to build up death, depth, the next man up, they're the ones who are able to avoid that sudden, slow, long death the Cardinals had this season. We can talk a bit about Tom Brady. There are retirement reports that went out. This is being recorded on a Saturday. It's one of the biggest shocks, I think, to some people, not because of Tom Brady's age, not because of even that he implied that he may retire, but it's a shock because he was still playing at such a high level. He had the Bucks turn back around with a turnover and a touchdown to getting within a final score of the Rams, and the Rams instead had two blown plays. Unfortunately, Todd Bowles had a poor judge, at least, as far as for where the safety played. Cooper Cup gets wide open on consecutive plays, and the Rams are able to kick a field goal and win the game. Tom Brady promptly retires, and the Bucks clearly are not going to be the same team even if he was coming back. And we can see how ultimately that is a huge shakeup in the NFC with these top two quarterbacks because the biggest story of the offseason, it's not about the draft. It's not going to even be about whoever wins the Super Bowl, what happens with someone like, say, if Jimmy Garoppolo makes it. It's not going to be about if Stafford and the Rams are able to get back there. It's not even going to be about Mahomes or the wonder kid in Joe Burrow. It's going to be about what happens to Aaron Rodgers what happens to Russell Wilson? And is there any movement into Sean Watson? Because those are three high-level quarterbacks. Rodgers is probably the MVP, and he could potentially leave the NFC. One of the teams that seems to be looking to make a play for quarterbacks is the Denver Broncos, and that would move him out of the NFC and to the AFC. It would move Jordan Love or Marcus Mariota, perhaps, uh, should it be an area where, considering their skill set, considering needing potentially a veteran quarterback, that may be a great fit. There's a lot to be able to be resolved from there, but if those two moves happen, then suddenly those are two playoff teams that suddenly have nothing at quarterback. And we already are, you know, Tom Brady, at least, they've refuted that it's over and said and done. They're expecting at least to have an announcement later. Uh, this is obviously a place where Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington are probably looking at a type of scenario where Tom Brady wanted to control his retirement, control his narrative, did not want it to be the main topic when going into the NFL championship round. 
And it said it leaks the Saturday before. The quest to be first is unfortunate when you're talking about how modern-day journalism and especially insider opinion lurks. But in the end of the day, you're talking about a greatest-of-all-time-level quarterback who is still playing at a high level and would have still been a threat to impede any type of forward momentum from the Arizona Cardinals. So what does it mean for the future? Well, it means that you're talking about the opportunity there for the Cardinals, for the Cowboys, and for the San Francisco 49ers to be wide open. Because Trey Lance is about 20, 21 years old. He's the youngest of the quarterbacks. And there's really nothing else in the NFC. Now, granted, that could change in a dime if a Deshaun Watson gets traded or should say an Aaron Rodgers get traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, who have quite a few first-round picks, and a Jalen Hurts type of quarterback. They could send back the Packers' way, should they have a little lack of confidence in Jordan Love. It's something, at least, where the Cardinals need to take advantage. And so far, through the first three years of Kyler Murray's contract, they have not. This next upcoming year, if Aaron Rodgers does leave, is going to be huge. Matthew Stafford is 34 years old, and the Rams have gone so far all in that at some point it's going to kind of hit similar to the Saints, who are looking at now with out of Sean Payton, having to get a new head coach, or some 70-ish million dollars over the salary cap needing to make enough cuts, moves, extensions, and without a future at quarterback and not really a great quarterback class, it really feels like the NFC South has taken a nosedive. The NFC West has been on the rise. And the only question that remains is, will the NFC East and NFC North be able to be up to the challenge? Because if the Cardinals are not able to take advantage of having a young quarterback able to build around and getting to the playoffs compared to an AFC in which every single season you're having to either get past, you know, even the Raiders had to get past a Justin Herbert this season only to lose to a Joe Burrow about how the Tennessee Titans with Ryan Tannehill put as much as they could together with their team and still lost in a game in which they had nine sacks of Joe Burrow. We can also talk at least about how just having Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in that division may make it nearly impossible for any other team to make it to an AFC championship game without having to play one of those two stars. And really, it's the rise of Joe Burrow that I think is most interesting for Cardinals fans. Because... There's been, like we said, nine sacks of Joe Burrow, and he is a guy that, as we've seen, has a larger size body, will run around, and will take some of those big hits. It's one of the concerns is, will his knees be able to hold up with taking those hits? When the team goes empty, will they be able to keep him healthy for the long term with him taking hits on blitzes left and right? But what is he doing on the other side? Well, he keeps getting up and delivers the ball, and ultimately has gotten the Bengals in his second year, his sophomore season. They're in the AFC Championship game. They look like they're a team that's not just on the rise, but a team that could be around for a very long time. Meanwhile, the Cardinals on their side, their fans are looking at year three of Kyler Murray and going, this team, just a year ago, was the number one pick in the draft just like us. This team went out and was able to get weapons for their quarterback two years in a row. Well, we were not able to find a wide receiver without having to trade for one, without having to sign A.J. Green, who was a former Bengal. They said, yeah, we're we're good to move off of. 
we don't have to worry about him. We got T. Higgins and all oh, a little offensive rookie of the year like Jamar Chase coming on in. This is a Cardinals team that seems to be struggling to add talent to surround their quarterback, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Because as we can see, the Bengals, they don't have a great line, but they've got weapons. They've got a quarterback who's able to deliver the ball. And they're able to show just how important having those weapons are for a young QB. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, when DeAndre Hopkins goes out, made no such moves at the deadline. Unfortunately, it was a little bit late to even add someone at the trade deadline, too. They did add Zach Ertz, a player I think they saw a lot of success out of. But not to the degree of young, explosive talent. And I think all Cardinals fans can take a look at is say, how much of this is on the talent surrounding? Or... Is this simply a case of Joe Burrow being one of those quarterbacks who can take a licking, can keep on ticking, while the Cardinals quarterback in Kyler Murray has been knocked out and missed games for the last two seasons in a row, and it's cost them the playoffs, it's cost them maybe the number three seed, although thank goodness for Colt McCoy, he was able to get them to a two-in-one record. It's got a lot of fans wondering if this is the wonder kid that he's all built up to be or if this is simply a case of the Cardinals getting the wrong at number one pick in the wrong year and questions abounding about paying a large sum of money to Kyler Murray to put him amidst the other elite QBs. So that's what we have, at least for the preview. We've got the Rams versus the Niners. We've got Cincy versus Kansas City. The Bengals did go off earlier and beat Kansas City earlier in the game now. I think at least for this, the common type of thing is people will probably be rooting, whether or not for Matthew Stafford. There's a lot of Niners fans out there who I think would love to see Jimmy Garoppolo make another Super Bowl. That would probably cause you know, a team to be able to give up something of value for him in the offseason to help the Niners recoup some of those first-round picks they gave up. But I think you have to go with who's been the team that has been able to dominate in this postseason. Well, the only truly dominant team that we've seen has really been the Chiefs. That's been the team that has looked dominant. They look like they're back to normal after a few games during the season that were a bit downhill. The other team, I think, is the Rams, because even though the Bucks made that comeback at the end of the game, the Rams were able to simply go down the field and put them away. They look like the stronger and better team. And that's kind of a surprise because part of me would love to pick the Niners because San Fran's gone 2-0 against them. They've not been a good matchup for Matthew Stafford, able to get pressure with a great pass rush up front, able to use Fred Warner to stop and isolate their run game, essentially funneling running backs to him and him making plays at an incredible pace. And then being able to, in the secondary, utilize some of that zone coverage the Niners love to do that has been able to pick off Matthew Stafford, and it's going to be interesting. I think that this is a game where the Rams are able to figure it out, and I think that the way they do it is they take a look at it and say, Matthew Stafford, we're going to trust you to get the ball to Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. Even under pressure from that Niners front. Can Jimmy Garoppolo do the same without making mistakes? And I think that's going to be the key is I think the Rams have a much better ability to be able to stop some of their own. We saw against the Bucs, they were able to run the ball against the Bucs. And that was a little bit of a surprise to some people. They're able to get outside, be able to put not run toward Vita Vea, but were able to stress those Bucks linebackers. And really, then in the end of the day, it all came down to a star player in Cooper Cup with the big arm quarterback and Matthew Stafford making plays to win the day. 
I think that the Rams are the team that I would pick for this. But if the Niners do happen to win, then maybe it's just a matchup issue. I would love to see uh, the Rams go down. Most Cardinals fans, I think, are not that afraid of the Niners, but they would love to see the Rams go all in for trying to get a Super Bowl and then to be held up and stopped short yet again. On the other side, with Cincy versus Kansas City, I would love to see a shootout between these two, but I think that I would like to see the Chiefs the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, I think at least most Cardinals fans were pulling for the Bills, a team that, like them, hasn't really won a Super Bowl, had four shots of it back at the 90s, never pulled through. I think most Cardinals fans would have preferred to have seen the Bills be able to get um, that Super Bowl ring. Instead, I think at least, when it comes down to it, Cardinals fans, maybe they'll want to root for Joe Burrow. Maybe there's a bit of jealousy that's there of Joe Burrow. Given the Cliff Kingsbury connection, I could see people saying, all right, let's go and have a Kansas City-San Francisco rematch. That would be my preferred outcome, honestly. It would be nice to see Joe Burrow go up against the likes of a Matt Stafford just to see someone different get it for once. New teams in the Super Bowl, or at least new quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. The Niners and Rams have both been there. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because as Cardinals fans and all NFC West NFC Championship game. And in a status in which you essentially went 3-3, three and three, you beat the Niners twice. You beat the Rams once. You lost to the Rams twice. You beat the Rams once. You went 4-2, and two, technically, I guess, against the Rams and against the Niners. You had a winning record against these two teams in the NFC Championship game. And yet you can say the injuries derailed the season and perhaps coaching did as well. We'll talk a bit more about coaching and what that looks like, at least on the other side, as we wrap up this episode of the ROTB pod. And we're back on the final portion of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, uh, talking about the future of the Arizona Cardinals. So we've already gone over the end of the season that lost to the Rams, losing six of their last seven. We've gone over some of the playoffs in the wild card and division round, previewed the bit of the conference championship. But the big question, of course, is what does the future of this team look like? And for those of you who've been following at least for uh, who knows how long, at least a few months now, especially through the losing streak the Cardinals went on, about the fear that I had expressed about how 2021 may have been the year for the Cardinals. And I think in hindsight, maybe you can say that it was. This is an all-NFC championship game. Cardinals had beaten these teams no less than three times. Lost to the Rams twice, went three and two. This is indeed an issue for the Cardinals because of the current talent level, the amount of players that they're losing, and perhaps a bit of questions in the overall spearhead that leads it all, which is, of course, Steve Keim, Cliff Kingsbury, Vance Joseph. All that has led to, I think, a lot more doubt in Kyler Murray. So let me start with the elephant in the room of Kyler Murray and his play. If you took the Arizona Cardinals from the start of the season and you look at the end of the season, your hope would be that Kyler Murray would make a Pro Bowl. And that is what's happened can say that his play was efficient. You can notice that the lack of DeAndre Hopkins definitely had an impact on the team. And when it's come to the playoff, what's interesting is there are other quarterbacks who have had 
difficult starts. Brett Favre threw, I believe, uh, five-plus, maybe even six interceptions in his first playoff game. Dan Marino had struggles. A lot of these were quarterbacks who were lifting bad teams into the playoffs and were not at all equipped for playing good ones. That, in some cases, is kind of similar to what we can see from the Cardinals. They were nowhere near the team that they were at the start of the season, did not have a healthy Watt, a healthy Hopkins, were missing some of the key pieces, were a very top-heavy team. And I think when you take a look at the likes of a star quarterback, such as Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, who have been to the playoffs and pretty much each year they've been the quarterback of the team, it gets pretty hard to be able to look at Kyler and look at Joe Burrow at a conference championship and to be able to view it as a positive. But if you look at the lack of success, some quarterbacks such as Peyton Manning never getting past Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, the fact that Dan Marino essentially finished without a Super Bowl win to his name, it shows how much pressure we really put, I think, on quarterbacks to win rings. When in fact, what we've seen is that teams are the ones that ultimately win rings. And we've seen this just in the past few years. After all, who can forget these quarterback winners of Nick Foles and Joe Flacco? (laughs) You can even talk about Jimmy Garoppolo making a Super Bowl a couple years ago, Jared Goff with the Rams a few years ago. But all of it really gets compared to Tom Brady because Tom Brady goes to some of the best teams and he elevates some of those teams to Super Bowl contention. And I think that that's one of the cases where if there's reason to be concerned about Kyler Murray, it'll be if he goes back to the playoffs. Not only doesn't show improvement, but we see regression over the next year where there's more hits. Maybe people say, oh, the book is out on him. We've so far seen Kyler been able to adjust. We haven't seen, however, is the team able to adjust as a whole. And he's either had to carry them down the backstretch, which he's not shown that he's been able to do just yet as a 24-year-old in the NFL. And he's not had as far as a team or maybe even coaching staff around him that's able to carry the team when he plays poorly. Kyler plays well. Things go well. When the team is playing poorly, we've also seen how it's impacted Kyler as well. And essentially putting it on his shoulders is something that I don't think is a smart move by Cliff Kingsbury. Now, that being said, we've seen times where he's tried to be able to develop screens, shorter plays. What the overall offensive approach has been is to simply be able to try to utilize that horizontal passing game, kind of the the horizontal rate, as it were, bring safeties down into the box, be able to spread teams out so that you're able to run the ball against a box that doesn't have seven or eight guys, able to have guys who can break tackles and pick up yards. Suddenly, you're picking up about seven yards or so through the swing passes. Guys are having to give off coverage. Hey, congrats. You are moving the ball and moving the chains. It also means that you're going to then have safeties that come down into the field. Well, hey, if you've got safeties dropping down into the box, then you're able to suddenly hit them with a deep throw on pretty much whatever play. The Cardinals can check into a deep passing play if they get the one-on-one coverage, no safety that they see over the top that they like. And we've seen them do that a bunch of times with DeAndre Hopkins, with A.J. Green, and a success with Christian Kirk. And it's that aspect where teams have adjusted by playing two high safeties, keeping guys in the box, and where the intermediate passing game has been so important. And we've seen that really drop off from the beginning part of the season without DeAndre Hopkins present. When teams were hitting Hopkins there, he was able to move the ball to Green, to be able to hit Max Williams on occasion. 
But Zach Ertz was the guy who really seemed to step up in some of those ways. And we saw in a lot of different avenues, the Cardinals were able to, when they were able to get into third and five, get into maybe even third and short, or even into some of these passing situations, Ertz was able to come through with a few clutch catches. The Dallas Cowboys game in particular seems to be one of these. However, when the Cardinals have gotten into third and long, backed up on the goal line, that's when there have been issues. And it really speaks to the fact that even with Kyler's legs being a threat, I feel like that the Cardinals are not quite in the best offensive scheme that you could be with him. And part of the reason for that is whether it's due to his height, whether it's due to simply the protections, there's an issue that I've seen at least where because of the way that the lion blocks for him, everything is done out of the shotgun. Now, Cliff Kingsbury, this is his approach. You do everything out of the shotgun because why would you need to go under center? Helps keep his quarterback more appropriate. Helps Kyler feel more that he's able to have some space to move. Doesn't have to turn his back to the defense so he can keep everything in front of him with all of these late adjustments. What I think the problem that's come up with it ultimately is in this quick passing game and everything that goes with it is that I think that it's so heavily built on needing to have three to four, if not four to five, receivers that can separate. They need to be able to get opened quickly to be able to get yards after catch because if you've got receivers like we've seen at the end of the season where A.J. Green is having to make a 50-50 ball jump catch, you see how Christian Kirk is having to kind of get a long developing play across the field to be able to make use of beating the safeties or beating coverage. Or when you're having to essentially see how an older player like Zach Ertz, who's 30, has never really been a yards after catch guy, is gets tackled right away. You're not able to see some of those same big plays. And I think that DeAndre Hopkins was opening some of those big plays for the Cardinals. Just because of you put him in one-on-one coverage, congrats. He's going to beat that coverage. He's going to communicate well with Kyler, and suddenly you're as a defense have to account for him on that play. That's freed up things for other avenues. You need to then have a star. So here's the problem. If your offense needs a star to contribute in that factor, and every offense in some degree needs a star, part of where it's going to then put the weight on is your quarterback has to step up. And I think what we've seen in some of the design of other teams, they've been able to help their quarterbacks a lot. Easiest example for this is the Niners and the Rams. Now, the team I would use in this perspective would be the Titans. The Titans have Derrick Henry in the backfield. You clearly want to try to run the ball with him. Maybe you add a fullback. Maybe you have a tight end blocking for him. But you're able to see how in those plays you're able to turn the back to the defense, and you only need to have one or two wide receivers who can run away from a guy, make a big play down the field. As the defense bites on that play action, You're able to then deal the ball and move the ball down the field at a great clip without having to worry about a defensive scheme that, you know, your offensive line suddenly has to block a lot better in order to ensure the run game is going. You've got that stud who can go and get it done. But I think the bigger case about what happens is that that under center eye formation play action opens all sorts of things. We've talked about how Kyler Murray running in the red zone. He's almost unstoppable on those bootlegs because when he runs out, you can only account for one or two guys because you have to be ready for the run. You can sneak out a receiver like you did with Antoine Wesley. Even if you play like Kyler Murray is going to run the ball in, he can be able to make a guy miss in the field by a little bit of time and hit a receiver in the back of the end zone. 
And you just don't have a way to be able to stop that because he is just that quick. You're able to use his, uh, his quick feet, his mobility as a weapon. What it also does is it really ultimately frees up a lot of his responsibility. Suddenly he goes to half field reads. You don't have to worry about reading the whole field. You're able to get guys who can chip in and protect a bit. He doesn't have a pass rusher that's breathing down his neck or having to get pushed back up where he has to step up into the pocket against pass rushers who are 6'5", six, 6'7". Six, I think having a large target over the middle of the field that Kyler is able to throw to and be able to see over or know that they'll be there is something that we haven't seen in this offense until they started throwing to Max Williams a bit more this year over the middle of the field. That's a huge part of his offense at Oklahoma as well. We got to see that with Grant Calcaterra being a guy that over the middle of the field, you can toss it up to him on a seam route. He'll make that catch. And you won't be able to bring those linebackers in the middle of the field and play those coverages for some of those different guys when you got a guy who's big and tall and can make that type of play. And I think that the Cardinals offense as it is right now probably does belong in something much more like the Titans. You can see that with Matthew Stafford being able to design different bootlegs, different looks. The Cardinals were torn apart with that with Sean McVay. And being able to have different plays that they're able to make at least where you're able to get matchups based on dictating. The Cardinals have an issue with putting four guys into their spot and then running fast so the defense can't make adjustments. And then the idea is, hey, defense can't adjust. We're going to snap the ball here quick. We're moving fast. A.J. Green's got one-on-one coverage on third and short. We're going to go ahead and take that deep shot. We've seen the Cardinals profit off of that. But what if you could then take A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins and move them into the slot and then suddenly you bring Rondale Moore on jet sweep. Which person are you going to watch on the defense? If you're watching those two go on a crossing route, Rondale Moore could be getting the jet sweep on a handoff. Suddenly, they both cross in front of you. The pass rush comes up the field, and Rondale scoots upfield. Suddenly, those guys and those linebackers who were going to be double covering with the corners on Green and on Hopkins... Suddenly, you've just vacated the field. The safety is having to now catch up. You can now have Rondale Moore running up there with a safety trying to make the play. You could have a pretty large gain. The ability to move guys away, and we saw some of this in the season where Hopkins moved into the slot. We saw him line up on the right side at times. Most of the modern-day offenses are able to have multiple formations and are able to move guys around before the snap to mix up defenses. Where the Cardinals had seen the most amount of success was by being able to utilize that quick game, the horizontal raid, to force missed tackles, and by being able to, when teams would bring extra guys into the box and then blitz. Arizona had so many blitz beaters because, you know, if you're bringing the blitz, Kyler can immediately identify the one-on-one coverage and make a play. But it doesn't make use of his legs, and he's then reduced to having to make different read options or quarterback draws, And by taking bootlegs out of the game, it does feel like ultimately that that play action, that selling point, even being able to run a naked boot where it's just Kyler by himself for the most part, being able to make a guy miss and get down the field, avoid a hit and slide, all of those types of things for the most part are areas that we've seen at least that can be successful with the RPOs. But it's only successful when those are the only things that you run And if you don't have additional things, then that's a limiter. And this is where I think it comes down to. This will be the last thing I'll say on Kyler. The NFL, I believe, is a matchup area where your goal is to throw as many possible things at the defense as you can. 
you can credit Cliff for this. He's had some trick plays designed up. There's different options that are there. There's definitely plays in which you can see where Chase Edmonds looks like he's going to be getting an option pitch. He keeps the ball and runs forward. We've seen some of this from Cliff and in the shotgun. But I think the main issue that we've run into ultimately is that if the Cardinals are going to be a team that's not going to feature Kyler turning his back to the defense, it's not going to feature that type of handoff, and it isn't really going to feature his legs on those different bootlegs, then it feels like ultimately you're putting him into a situation where maybe you've got two-thirds of the NFL playbook in there, but you're still missing a decent portion. And I think that's one of the areas of that we've seen with the successful quarterbacks like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes, have made livings off of scrambling and moving around. But it's also off of these power run games where they're able to get a bit of extra time and the pass rushers aren't able to simply pin their ears back and get after the quarterback because they've got to be afraid of the run game that's coming right up the middle where you get a huge gain and burst up that front off of that I-formation run. And I think that's one of the areas where if the Cardinals aren't going to adjust to that, then it does feel very much like it's one of those places where that type of offense may be needed. And to credit some of the team that's done it well, when the Seattle Seahawks were able to run those type of plays and those areas, the protections for Russell Wilson were far better. And part of that's because they were able to get a little bit more open space in front of him. We're able to see at least is a lot more of those guys he's able to, on that handoff, turn back around. He's got space. It's automatically there. And the edge rushers have to respect that run game. It's also a spot where you're able to vacate space behind the linebackers or be able to have a pocket you can step up into. There's all sorts of things that it comes up off of. And to Cliff's credit, we've seen decent amounts of play action, but I think that that's one of the areas where, like someone had said, and this is in a group chat that we're in with, couple of the cards writers, including our main site writer, Seth Cox, our show friend, Jess Root, have talked about how if you took Kyler Murray and dropped him onto a team like the Titans, that is able to make use of those different areas and bootlegs and has those simplified reads that he probably would be an all pro because of just how good that system helps make Ryan Tannehill look. The Cardinals have put Kyler Murray into a scheme where when things get rough, they have to drop him back with only five guys to protect and maybe one to chip, spreading things out, making it as hard on the quarterback as possible. Now, granted, if you get good receivers, like we saw this year early in the season with the Cardinals, it can work to great effect. But it also did when the Cardinals were forcing turnovers on defense. And this is where we can see how there's issues that Cliff Kingsbury has popped up as far as with People are questioning, can he lead men? I think that we have seen plenty of evidence that Cliff has earned the respect of a lot of the guys that are around. I think that he has earned, like, especially in cases of leaders like DJ Humphreys and Jordan Hicks, will defend him. And to his credit, he's a guy who takes correction well. He stays humble. And he doesn't do what fans would like him to do. Like, everyone loved how Bruce Arians would call out players and places, how he would be disrespectful. Most players don't like being called knee-deep. Imagine if your boss came up to you and was deriding you. Now, maybe it's fun to watch from afar, like everyone loves watching Gordon Ramsay on Kitchen Nightmares. But it's not fun when you're the person being razzed. And I think that that's one of the things that fans have wanted to see is Cliff Kingsbury being a bit tougher, being more emotional, trying to get the, the typical disciplinarian or more Belichickian style out of players. I don't think he's that kind of guy, nor should he be that kind of guy. And I think what's unfortunate for Cliff is that 
even if his scheme ends up being one of the areas that ends up working or we see more adaptation, I think there's two issues that I think that he's running into. The first issue, I think, is indeed that I think his scheme is just not quite adaptable enough. And the easiest example for that is by looking at combination of the Chiefs and Bills. You can start to see some of those same plays, same areas that pop up. Now, the formations may be different ultimately, but some of those plays end up being similar and maybe they're a comfort zone, but a lot of it I think is built around the way Arizona spreads the ball out with those four receivers or being able to have you know, 12 personnel sets that can turn into four receivers, it is still ultimately reliant on having a plethora of receivers there that can then make plays and also having linemen who can stand up to the task. And if you've got less receivers but more linemen, then you have a possibility of being able to build your offense around that protection, the run game, and getting plays to your big threat downfield. It's something we saw the Houston Texans do all the time with DeAndre Hopkins. Being able to use a power run game and get the ball to hop, they were able to make a killing off of it almost no matter who was at quarterback. They didn't have a lot of offensive success, but boy, were they able to get the ball to hop and get to the playoffs. And when they did get a star quarterback in Deshaun Watson along with a deep threat in the likes of Will Fuller, my goodness, did that team take off. So I think that's the first area is that Cliff may be just a bit too limited and just is not adapting enough there's always a crutch point where coaches will not go to or not be able to adapt. There's a human limitation. There's also football limitations. You can't simply just run trick plays every single play because that's not something you'll do. It's also something I don't think any Cardinals fan wants to see is the, oh, Cliff, don't get too cute. Just run the ball. Well, they run the ball, and then they don't run the ball effectively. Oh, you should have dialed up a bootleg so that way you could you know, make use of the pass. At some point, there's limitations to what you can do, and I think part of those limitations our talent limitations. And this is the second thing I think that Cliff has going against him. And that is that we are running into systemic problems for the Arizona Cardinals. And this comes back to where you can look at from this past week when the Cardinals lost to the Rams. There was two people in particular, Kyle Odegaard and then ESPN's Mina Kimes, who called them out as far as the lack of talent that was evident on the team, as they said, compared to other teams in the league. And I don't see anything that's really wrong with that. You take a look at when Hopkins went down, who was the other Cardinal receiver who stepped up and was making plays consistently? The closest you had would be Christian Kirk getting four to five catches for 60 yards a game with a long gain of 30 yards. That is not anywhere close to wide receiver one numbers. It's not even great wide receiver two numbers in the NFL. So AJ Green just seemed to fall off when he stopped facing corner twos and Team started to adjust, and he just was not able to run like he was used to. And I think that some of that comes down to with Steve Kime, where you look at how the Cardinals have been built. In offense, they just have not put enough around Kyler, at least outside of Hopkins and Hudson, to be able to succeed. They've tried to find stuff with Josh Jones in the third round. They've signed a plenty of veterans. But it still feels like, ultimately, that when you're looking at a team like the Rams that is able to beat you with a star in Cooper Cup that went and acquired a star in Odell Beckham Jr., who maybe isn't quite a wide receiver one anymore, but he certainly is a great second wide receiver. We saw that in the Cardinals game. They have a like of, of Tyler Higby, and then in their backfield, they've got multiple running backs and a scheme that is friendly to Matthew Stafford. Heck, we even saw Van Jefferson get some big plays down the field. He's not even in the likes of 
uh, of Beckham or in the likes of uh, Cooper Cup, the guy who passed up Larry Fitzgerald for most yards in a season and a postseason this year. And I think that Steve Kime made a mistake in trying to say, we're going to go ahead and we're going to build a complete team for the Cardinals and didn't build the offense first. I think he tried to in 2019, but they still went out and had to draft a corner to replace Patrick Peterson. They drafted four wide receivers, and guess what, Steve? You kind of ignored the offensive line a bit. You've been making do with veterans, and you tried to get Josh Jones in there. It just seems to not have worked at guard. We'll see how it goes next year at tackle. But they paid off DJ Humphreys the big dollars. He's due now next year a huge sum. And this is kind of where we've gotten into with the Cardinals. You're going to have to take a $9 million hit on Jordan Phillips if you're going to get rid of him. Jordan Hicks, you have to take a bit of a hit. You're already paying A.J. Green in 2022 because you pushed back some contract to make things work. Justin Pugh, by all accounts, is either under contract, which I'm assuming would get ripped up for a new one because it's not something that's tenable, or he's going to be a free agent that the Cardinals are going to have to try to resign and keep him back. And he was their best offensive lineman this year. Humphreys did seem to take a step back as far as where he was last year, and we got to see how Kelvin Beecham did fine, at least, in playing against the Dallas Cowboys at left tackle. He's under contract for another year at just about under $2 million worth. But overall, when you say that, the biggest issue that the Arizona Cardinals have run into is they've tried and tried and tried again to figure out the linebacker position. This is the fourth first-round linebacker draft pick that Steve Keim has made in the era. It's the fifth that has been made in the top uh, two rounds, I believe. And they've also signed Jordan Hicks to what was a four-year, relatively decent starter money type of deal. They benched him at the beginning of the year and promptly reinstated him once it became evident that, A, he was not going to go down without a fight. He improved his play so that he could find a... Home, credit to him. You know, players who are veterans don't like having <laughs> food been taken off their table, as the as they would say. But really now, at the end of the time, you're having to question at least, is Isaiah Simmons being miscast? Now, I, I will say this. I pegged him as a safety coming out. The reason why was because when you looked at how he was played on the line, being able to be on occasion at least lined up at the will linebacker, but a lot of times he was lined up in the slot and even would drop back to deep safety you really felt like, I, at least I did, he looked like a Tyron Matthew except like built like Captain America because he was able to make those pl- plans of hunting down quarterbacks for sacks, getting interceptions, being able to make tackles for loss. He did look like he was one of those guys who didn't fit the typical linebacker mold but was able to be used all over the field as that Swiss Army knife. Now, I didn't like the pick at the time because I felt like you know, obviously, the Cardinals, I've wanted a wide receiver, too. They still, of course, are needing a wide receiver, too. They're seeing Christian Kirk potentially be maybe a wide receiver, three, and I don't know if they're going to be retaining him. A.J. Green, most fans are happy to see him go and are not wanting him back. But when that pick was made, at least, it seemed like that was one of the areas where they still did not have their middle linebacker. So they go out to draft Zayvon Collins, and he finishes the year playing on the edge. So something is going up, at least, as far as whether it's Vance Joseph not trusting the rookies, not playing them. Perhaps the problem of it is that the rookies are simply a liability enough to the point where they can't be played, and maybe these draft picks were not as great. I still think we can hold out hope for it, but when you're talking about being able to develop them, 
and how that fit goes, I think there's two areas that stand out. The first one, at least, is I think there's an adjustment that the Cardinals will either make or have to make. And I think it comes from the fact that people are saying, hey, Vance is the issue, Vance is the problem. Here's where I will say, looking at the Cardinals back when they had Terrell Suggs in 2019, it became very clear and very apparent once they cut him, Chandler Jones got moved into his spot. We suddenly got to see Hassan Reddick be playing at a different linebacker role. Joe Walker and Tanner Vallejo were participating at least at that inside linebacker role next to Jordan Hicks. And then Patrick Peterson finally seemed to get plugged in. Suddenly, you saw that four-sat game and an immediate defensive improvement. And that's when you realize that Terrell Suggs had been playing and was not being what the Cardinals had advertised. He was a liability. And when the Cardinals suddenly put Chandler Jones into the prime pass rushing role, they put Hassan Reddick back into a spot where he could rush the passer or drop back to cover. Suddenly you saw things shift. And I think that's an area where I would say that the coaches knew and understood what was going on. It wasn't that they suddenly figured it out and stumble into it. No, 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 no. I think that the front office had this picture and image of we want to have Suggs and Chandler. And once they were able to finally get over that, the coaches were able to have the freedom to do their thing. I think it improved. Now, and I get the frustration of you want to see Isaiah Simmons out there. You want to see Zayvon Collins out there making plays because without that, they're not going to be able to develop. But at least if it's a question between who would you rather trust, Vance Joseph, who's taken the Cardinals defense and improved it from 32nd all the way to being at least top 11, close to top 10 defense. Now, obviously not against the run. I think there's issues that they have there, but he's got a better track record than Steve Keim does at drafting linebackers. Because we've seen Keim fail to draft a single good linebacker in the first round to the point where he's drafted back-to-back linebackers to replace other linebackers and still could not replace that starter that they signed to a large deal just to fix their linebacker problem. This is a nightmare. The Cardinals could go into this next year's draft. They could take another first-round linebacker a third year in a row And if it fixed the problem, you would say, great, that's solid. They need one of those. That should not be the case. That is a systemic issue that you have as well as when it comes to scouting wide receivers, putting maybe a bit too much emphasis on some of the talent and players. We've seen Rondale Moore not be used down the field. Maybe that's part of him being a rookie. Perhaps some of that's just the usage. I think ultimately at some point people have to rectify and take a look at what the job that the GM has done. And take a look even at the factor of, all right, well, let's say the Cardinals have coaching issues. All right. If you want to take a look back to the 2019 and 2018 years, Cardinals had no quarterback in 2018. They had multiple coaches turn down the opportunity to interview with them, Mike Munchak. You also saw Pat Shermer take the Giants job. And there are other coaches who basically chose to not interview. Fast forward to 2019. You see the top candidate there, Mike McCarthy, turned down the opportunity to go to Arizona. They end up hiring Cliff Kingsbury. I think Cliff may have been their top option overall. But really, a lot of people are saying, who on earth is going to take this job? They give it to Cliff, and suddenly, who on earth is going to be the defensive coordinator? Vance Joseph, he just had been let go from the Broncos, but he was still a respected, and he ran a 3-4 defense that they felt like was most successful for the talent that they had. Steve Wilkes changed to a 4-3. Started playing Patrick Peterson back in a lot more zone. 
Chandler Jones had double-digit sacks, but wasn't special. Peterson didn't seem to have that shutdown year. But ultimately, the Cardinals front office made the decision, and they probably picked it correctly. But now it's a new era. The Cardinals are now in a spot where they no longer have Patrick Peterson, and they no longer have Chandler Jones. I mean, I'm assuming that Chandler is not going to be retained at his salary, that he's not going to be franchise tagged. I think most Cardinals fans would not want to see him back due to the fact that they feel like it would probably be a bit overpaid for the production that was seen on the field in his last year following what seemed to be an elite start. So end of the day, should the Cardinals keep that 3-4? Should they move to a 4-3? I think that's very important for the front office to be able to determine because if they say we're going to move to a 4-3 defense, suddenly you end up kind of being able to say, hey, there's more of a pass rusher we can kind of put in. J.J. Watt could suddenly slide to a defensive end position. You're able to maybe pick up a defensive tackle in the middle. You don't have to worry about a true nose tackle like Jordan Phillips, who's 330-something pounds. And suddenly you've got an immediate impact role where Isaiah Simmons can play the will linebacker or be able to drop back into maybe a three-safety look and the strong side linebacker mold. Or perhaps maybe you end up looking in the middle linebacker's mold where you can end up putting Zayvon Collins. And then maybe all you have to do is say, hey, we're going to bring back Hassan Reddick as our Sam. Hopefully the Cardinals are able to get him. I feel like the Panthers are going to franchise tag him or find a way to get him long term. But then you can at least say that there's opportunity. And the easiest example you can look at is how Mike Zimmer treated Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, both who were first round picks, both who excelled at their roles in Minnesota's defense. And perhaps that the key to unlocking some of these linebackers isn't necessarily with Steve Kyman with that, but maybe some of it has come down to just where the Cardinals are and needing to look a little bit outside of the box, similar to Cliff Kingsbury, opening things up just a little bit more. Because now that Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson are no longer there, you don't have to play this press man, 3-4 outside linebacker type of style. And that's where I think the biggest thing that pops up at least is... None of this will matter if Kyler's head is not in the right spot. We'll see where that goes next year. But this is part of where I'll make kind of a declarative, maybe hot take statement. It feels like when you're taking a look at the way the Cardinals are constructed, they've got $20 million in cap space. They've got to improve at the wide receiver spots, try to bring back the likes of Zach Ertz, James Conner. They have to figure out if DJ Humphreys is going to be renegotiated. Is that cap hit going to be something you can take on? DeAndre Hopkins is going to be due some $25 million. And you still have this looming decision to make about Kyler Murray's contract. To me, it feels like when you're looking at the Cardinals that this was their year. And if this was their year, then where do the Cardinals go from here for Steve Kime and for Cliff Kingsbury or even Vance Joseph to keep some of their jobs? Now, we can talk about Vance if he leaves to a different team or Adrian Wilson. I'll hold off on some of that until the moves would come. Believe me, I would be in favor of the Cardinals getting more picks. But it feels like this is almost kind of the beginning of what could be unrealistic expectations. Because if the Cardinals this year could go 11-6 and six and lose in the first round of the playoffs, lose a lot of the talent that they have needing to suddenly say, hey, we need to replace these positions that are leaving and we're going to have to boost the defensive line and get the offensive line. Maybe we tweak it a bit. And what are we going to do at linebacker? Oh, and by the way, we've got... Robert Alford, a free agent, so you've got Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson. You're probably going to have to pick up another cornerback at some point as well, and you wonder if they really have a guy who can shut down number one wide receivers 
in that regard? Are you going to try to see if you can replace one? Are you going to try to pay someone? The Cardinals have picks in the first, the second, and the third this year. And they probably don't have enough picks to be able to address all of the needs that they have. Because they're going to have to get a running back from somewhere. You can't just simply bring back both and pay James Conner and Chase Edmonds. You got Eno Benjamin. So maybe you say, yeah, we'll bring back James if the price is right. We'll draft a big back at least to take over him and roll from there. You're also going to need a receiver to be able to figure out if Christian Kirk is leaving. You have to figure out if you've got the guy in A.J. Green because I think most Cardinals fans would agree you can get by maybe for a year with Antoine Wesley, but you're going to have to supplement that with putting together either a star performance from Rondale Moore or adding another star into the slot as of pretty much yesterday. It feels like the expectations for the Cardinals will be higher as well, where all of a sudden you went, hey, we got off to a hot start last year. We finished at 11-6 and with a playoff loss. What are the expectations going to be next year for Arizona? Is it going to be a 12-win season because you'll have to perform? Or is it going to be similar? Do you have to win the division next year? Is it going to be a place where the Cardinals can't lose five of six down the stretch? I think that's the bare minimum. But what happens if Arizona gets off to, say, a slower start, a two and four start? Then you're all of a sudden looking at the pressure of you have to finish strong because otherwise what happens if you end up being worse this next upcoming year and suddenly get to the end of the season saying, I don't know what we have in Kyler for sure. Are we going to pay him $40 million? And we didn't even get to the playoffs. That's one of the huge things up there. What will you have in Cliff Kingsbury? And will the impact that you've seen in the draft from Steve Kime be able to show that he did make the right moves? Because there's a lot of areas the Cardinals need to fix. He's got a hefty offseason in front of him, and he may have to do it without Adrian Wilson. And if they are worse last year than they were last, last year, then where do you go from there? The answer is, you're not extending Cliff Kingsbury. You're not extending Steve Kime. They're in the last year of their deals. You're probably going and looking at a retool. And this is kind of where I feel like the Cardinals are. I don't think it's impossible for Kime and Cliff to be able to pull it off, especially if Kyler Murray takes another step forward. They're able to add a bit more talent and you get some healthy play all throughout the season. It is not impossible. But it is a very tall task. Such a tall task, in fact, in the NFC West that if this is a make-or-break type of year, even if they do add another defensive coordinator, whatever happens with Vance Joseph, if they see improvement, the amount of improvement that they're going to have to see from where I think this was their year is tall enough to the fact that I think that this may be the start of the end. And part of it is unfortunate to me because I feel like Cliff Kingsbury has done all that you could ask of him. He was ridiculed. He was hired as the head coach, and what has he done besides be quiet and improve the Cardinals year over year? And I feel like that's unfortunate, as we may never get to see his ceiling, because ultimately, I think at the end of the day, what Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime have been putting together has not been on the same page as their coaching staff. And in order to make the most of a Cardinals team to kind of bring this poverty franchise out of the depths, we're going to need to have Kyler Murray take that next step. And the question is, is Cliff Kingsbury going to be the coach that helps him take that next step? Because it's very possible that we may never see what Kyler and Cliff are able to do because they'll always be held back at some level by Steve Kime and de facto, at least, Michael Bidwell, who's a friend of his, 
being guys who are just not quite there, who are ultimately being that cap. And that's an unfortunate thing to think through because it really means that if the Cardinals are going to take a step forward, it may be that Michael Bidwell has to do something that he really doesn't want to do. He has not wanted to move on from Steve Kime. Now, maybe Kime has allowed him to help with running some of the business. That's part of what Michael's prerogative is as owner. But ultimately, it was part of the reason why coaches didn't take that on. And we can take a look right at the Jacksonville Jaguars with all of their hiring issues to the point where people have been actively reporting and saying, yes, I am not going to the Jacksonville Jaguars because I cannot stand their GM, Trent Baalke. And this is ultimately the spot of if Cliff and Kime have to be guys that you fall on the sword for so that Kyler Murray can fly. That's a tough decision in advance of Michael Bidwell. But it may be one that he's forced to take if the Cardinals are not able to overcome where they have been this past season. Now, I'm rooting for the Cardinals. I'm rooting for Kime and Cliff. I hope that they get it right and figure it out because as we saw during that 7-0 stretch, it is so much more fun to be a Cardinals fan when your team is winning that you don't care who it is or how it is. Colt McCoy even was quarterback, and this team went 2-1. Fans were ecstatic. Ultimately, winning is what matters in the NFL, and the Cardinals will have to prove it. Everywhere from Kime to Clift, even Vance Joseph to Kyler Murray, if they're going to be able to turn this franchise around and be able to become a perpetual threat, not just a team that is a flash in the pan, putting together a bunch of veterans for one improvement and going bye-bye in just the very next year which is a possibility that we'll get to. We'll have a lot more of off-season preview. Ultimately, I know there's a lot of content packed into a little bit. We'll unpack it a lot more, get some outside perspectives, and spend a lot of time going over what the Arizona Cardinals offseason will look like. What talent will they add? Will they end up seeing um, some draft picks come in from talent leaving? Will we end up seeing changes that are able to be made to the Cardinals that we can expect will be um, potentially there? Because... There's a lot more we'll also go over in the next podcast episode talking a bit about Michael Bidwell. There's been some news about there, sorting out fact from fiction, and take a look ultimately at some of the Cardinals' biggest needs. That'll be on the next upcoming episode of the ROTV pod. Uh, hopefully we're having some more guests on in the next upcoming off-season time as well. And when we have our next show, we'll see our Super Bowl preview as well. It's going to be exciting. Hopefully we can see whatever team in the AFC goes up to take on the NFC West. It'll be a heck of a spectacle. That'll be it for me. Find me on Twitter at Blake57. Remember to follow the show at Blake57. As always, find our works on revengeofthebirds.com for all the written content. Thanks so much. Take care.